The Hound of Baskervilles by A. Colin Doyle. Chapter 8 First Report of Dr. Watson. From this point onward, I will follow the course of events by transcribing my own letters to Mr. Sherlock Holmes, which lie before me on the table. One page is missing, but otherwise, they are exactly as written and show my feelings of suspicion for the moment were more accurately than my memory, clear as it is upon the tragic events, can possibly do. Vascular Hall, October 13th. My dear Holmes, my previous letters and telegrams have kept you pretty well up to date as to all that has occurred in this most God-forsaken corner of the world. The longer one stays here, the more does the spirit of the more sink into one's soul, its vastness, or its grim charm. When you are once out upon its bosom, you have left all traces of modern England behind you. But on the other hand, you are conscious everywhere of the homes and work of historic people. On all sides of you, you walk beyond the houses of those forgotten folk, their graves and huge monoliths, which are supposed to have marked their temples. As you looked at their grey stone huts, against the scarred hillsides, leave your own age behind you, as if you were to see a skin-clad hairy man call out for a long door fitting a flint-tipped arrow to string bow. You feel that his presence was more natural than your own. Strange thing is that you should have lived so fitly on what must always have been most unfruitful soil. I am no antiquarian, but I must imagine there was someone more like Carried a faint race who must have forced to accept which one another would occupy, which no other would occupy. Or this, however, is foreign to the mission on which you sent me. It will probably be very uninteresting to you, your severely practical mind. I can still remember your complete indifference to which the sun moved around the earth, the earth around the sun. Let me therefore return to the facts concerning Sir Henry Baskerville. You have not had any report within the last few days, because up to today there is nothing of importance to relate. Then a small surprising sentence has occurred, which I shall tell you in due course. But first of all, I must keep you in touch with some of the other factors in the situation. One of these concerning which I have said little to escape victim a convict upon the moor is a strong reason now to believe that he got right way which is considerable relief to the lonely housekeepers of this district fortnight has passed since his flight during which he has not been seen and nothing has been heard of him it is surely inconvenient that he could have held out upon the moor during all that time of course so far as his concealment goes no difficulty at all any one of these stone huts could have given him a hiding place, but there is nothing to eat unless he were to catch the slaughter of one of the more sheep. We think, therefore, he's gone, and, and the outlying farmers sleep the better in consequence. We are four able-bodied men in this household, so we could have taken good care of ourselves, but I confess, and in the easy moments, I have thought of the Simpletons. Davidons, they live miles from any help. They are one maid, an old man servant, a sister, 
her brother, the latter not a very strong man, he would be helpless in the hands of a desperate fellow like the Notting Hill criminal. If he could one effect an entrance, both Sir Henry and I were concerned at their situation. It was suggested that Perkins, the groom, should go over to sleep there, but Stapleton would not hear of it. The fact is, our friend, the baronet, began to display considerable interest in our fair neighbour. It is not to be wondered at, for time hangs heavily in this lonely spot of an active man like him. She is a very fascinating and beautiful woman. There is something tropical and exotic about her, which forms a singular contrast to her cool, emotional brother. Yes, he always gives the idea of hidden fires. He has certainly a very marked influence over her, for I have seen her continually glance at him as she talked as if seeking appropriation for what she said. I trust that he is kind to her, with a dry glitter in his eyes, and a firm set on his thin lips, which goes to a positive and possibly a harsh nature. You would find him an interesting study. He came over to call upon Bassingill the first day, and very next morning he took us both to show us the spot where legend of the Hogo is supposed to have had its origin. It was excursion to some miles across the moor, a place which so dismal might have suggested a story. We found a short running between two rugged tours, led to an open grassy space, flecked over the white cotton grass. In the middle of the rows, two great stones worn sharpened at the upper end till they looked like a huge corroding fangs some monstrous beast in every way it corresponded with the scene of the old tragedy sir henry was much interested and asked stapleton upon which one where he had really believed in possibility of the appearance supernatural in the affairs of man he spoke lightly but it's evident he was very much in earnest stapleton was guarded in his replies but it's easy to see that he less than he might. He would not express his whole opinion out of consideration of the feelings of the baronet. He told us that similar cases were families that suffered some evil influence. He left us the impression that he shared a popular view upon the matter. On our way back, we lie stayed up lunch at Merripit House, and there it were that Sir Henry made acquaintance with Stapleton. From that first moment we saw her, he appeared to be strongly attracted by her. I am very much mistaken that his feelings are not mo- was not mutual. We heard her again and again on a walk home. Since then, hardly a day has passed. We have not seen something of the, the brother and sister. They are dying here tonight, and there is some talk of going to them next week. One imagine that such a match would be very welcome to Stapleton. Yet I am more than one caught a look of strongest disapprobation his face when Sir Henry had been paying some attention to his sister. He is much attracted to her, no doubt, or lead a lonely life without her, but it would seem the height of selfishness. He were to stand in the way of her making a brilliant marriage, yet I am certain that she does. he does not wish their intimacy to ripen into love. I have several times observed he has taken pains to prevent them of being a tete-a-tete, by the way, your instructions to me never to allow Sir Henry to out, alone will become very much more arduous if love affair were to be added to our, our own other difficulties. My other hilarity would soon suffer if they were to carry out your orders to the letter. 
The other day, Thursday to be more exact, Dayton Wardwell launched lunch of us. He'd been excavating a burrow, a long down, and got the prehistoric skull which fills him with great joy. Never was such a simple minded enthusiast as he. Sapertons came in afterwards, and the good doctor took us all to the New Valley at Sir Henry Chris to show us slightly how everything occurred upon that fatal night. The long dismal walk, the new alley between two high walls, a clipped hedge with a narrow band of grass upon either side. Find an old tumble down summer house, halfway down the moorgate, where the old gentleman left his cigarette in a white wooden gate with a latch. Beyond it lies a moored moor. Remember your theory, the fair. Try to picture that all that occurred. As the old man stood there, he saw something cross, coming across the moor, something which terrified him, so that he lost his wits and ran and ran till he died of sheer horror and exhaustion. That was a long, gloomy tunnel down which he fled. The firm walked, a sheepdog on the moor, a spectral hound, black, silent and monstrous. Was there a human nature in the matter, with a pale, watchful more? No more than he cared to say. It was all dim and vague, but always there is a dark shadow crying behind it. One other neighbour I have met since I wrote last. This is Mr. Frankland of Laffeter Hall, who lives some four miles to the south of us. The elderly man, red-faced, white-haired, and quilliped. He's passionate for the, Brit- for the British law, and he spent his large fortune in manipulation. He fights for the mere pleasure of fighting. He really eagerly ready to take up either side of the question, so that that is no wonder that he's found a costly, a costly amusement. Sometimes he was shut up right away and defied a parish to make it him open it. At others, he will, with his own hand, tear down some other man's gate and declare that the path existed here from time memorial to find the owner to prosecute him for trespass. He learned in all memorials the criminal rights. He applies his knowledge sometimes in favour of the village of Fernworthy. The time is against them, so, he, so that he prudently either carried and triumphed down the village or else burned in effigy, according to his latest exploit. He said of about life, some life sorts upon his hands present, which should probably swallow up a maid of his fortune, and so draw his string and leave him harmless for the future. Apart from the law, it seems a kind, good-natured fellow person. I only mention him because you have a particular, as you send a Muslim description of people who surround us. Because he employed at present, for being an amateur astronomer, his excellent telescope, which he lies upon the roof of his own house, and sweeps the moor all day in his own, all day in the hope of catching a glimpse of the escape of convict. He will find his energies to this all would be well, but there are rumours he intends to prosecute Dr. Mortimer, Roman and Grey, without the consent of the next kin, because he would dig up the methodic skull, a barrow, long down. He helps to keep our lives from being monotonous, and gives us a little comic relief, which is badly needed. Now, having brought you up to date and escaped the convict, the stable as Dr. Mortimer, Franklin, of the hall, let me end on the which is the most important. Tell you more about the experiments, especially about the surprising developments last night. First of all, about the first telegraph, which you sent from London, in order to make sure the Barrymore was really there here. I will explain the testimony and postmaster. Shows that tests 
was worthless. He, we have no proof one way or the other. I told Sir Henry now how the matter stood. And he at once, in a downright fashion, said Barrymore up. I Barrymore and asked him whether he had seen the telegram himself. I said he had. Did the boy deliver it to your own hands, or Sir Henry? Barrymore looked surprised and considered it for a little more. No, said he. It, I was in my box room at the time. My wife brought it to me, up to me. Did you answer it yourself? No, I told my wife what to answer. She wanted to write it down. Alex, try to write it. And even you could the subject his own accord. I could not quite understand the object of your questions this morning, Sir Henry, said he. I trust that you don't, do not mean I have done anything to forfeit your confidence. Sir Henry had to assure him. He not so pacified by giving him considerable part of his old wardrobe, an unoutfit having now all arrived. Miss Barrymore is in interest of me. She's a heavy, solid woman, very limited, intensely respectful, well, inclined to be puritanical. You could hardly conceive a less emotional subject. Yet I have told you how on the first night here I heard her sobbing bitterly. Since I have more than once observed traces of tears upon her face, some deep sorrow gnaws ever at her heart. So I know you wonder she has a guilty memory which haunts her. So I suspect for Barrymore being a domestic tyrant. I have always felt there was some was something singular and questionable in this man's character. The adventure of last night being all my suspicion brings all my suspicions to the head. But it may seem a small matter itself. You're aware that I'm not a very sound sleeper. And since I've been on guard in this house, my slumbers have been lighter than ever. Last night, about two in the morning, I was aroused by a stealthy step passing my room. I rose, opened my door and peeped out. A long black shadow was trailing down the corridor, thrown by a man and walked softly down the passage, a candle held in his, a candle held in his hand. He was in a shirt and trousers, no covering to his feet. I could merely see the outline, but his height told me it was Barrymore. He walked very slowly and circumspectly, and there's something inscrutably guilty and furtive in his whole appearance. I have told you the corridor is broken by a balcony which runs round the hall, but it is resumed upon the further side. I waited till he passed out of sight, and I followed him. When he came round the balcony, he had reached the end of the corridor, further corridor, to see it for the glimmer of the light, and opened the door, he entered one of the rooms. Now all these rooms are carpet furnished and occupied with this exposition. Came more mysterious than ever. Light shone steadily, as if he was passing motionless. Standing motionless, I crept down the passage as noiselessly as I could, and peeped around the corner of the door. Barrymore was crouching the window with his candle held against the wet glass. His powerful was half to wall, turned towards me. His face seemed to be rigid in expectation. He stared out into the blackness of the moor. For some minutes, he stood watching intently. Then he gave a deep groan, and with an ancient gesture, put out the light. Instantly, I made my way back to my room. Very shortly came with stealthy steps, passing once more upon their return journey. Long afterwards, they had fallen into a late sleep. I heard a key turn somewhere in the lock. I could not tell whence the sound came. What it means, I cannot guess. There is some secret business going on in this house. 
the gloom which sooner or later you shall get to the bottom of. I but do not trouble you with my theories. You ask me to furnish you only with facts. I had a long walk with Sir Henry this morning. We have made a plan for a campaign founded upon my observations of last night. I will not speak about it till just now, but it should make my next report interesting reading. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.